Welcome to the Break Magazine podcast. My name is Llewellyn Pavey and this week we are talking about dirt bikes and how to transition from adventure riding into riding dirt bikes, what you might need to do that and some of the tips you're going to want to take with you on that journey. This week's guest is an off-road hard enduro legend, Chris Birch. Before becoming well-known for his exceptional skills on adventure bikes, Chris was a top-level racer in hard enduro racing, events like the Africa, uh, the Roof of Africa and Romaniacs, winning Roof of Africa, I think, twice, and finishing on the podium at Romaniacs multiple times and finishing the legendary Dakar Rally. Since then, his popularity in adventure bikes has boomed through epic Instagram photos and videos showcasing skills that most of us that are into riding off-road can only dream of. When you add into that mix an ability to articulate things in the way you teach, all the videos that I've ever come across of yours are really, really deft and kind of thoughtful in how you're explaining those techniques. I don't think there's many people better placed to talk about dirt bike technique and the pitfalls that you're going to come across when you start riding those bikes. So firstly, welcome to the podcast, Chris. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And thanks for such a, a glowing introduction. <laughs> so I think um, I was quite surprised when I started doing research for this podcast that you've been riding adventure bikes a fair bit longer than most of us realize. Um, I came across a little interview you did somewhere else where you said that your adventure riding started with the solid staple of a DR650, which you did a trip with your wife on, I believe. And then you bought the classic KTM 950. My first memory of you riding adventure bikes was, in a public way at least, was that MAD TV video with you on the 1190. So how did that come about and how did you find using the 1190 more like a dirt bike than kind of just a bike for traveling on? Yes, like you said, I I started off, I've been riding adventure bikes for my own just fun reasons for for many, many years. And yeah, starting off in the DR650, it was just a way to take my love of riding off-road and riding enduro bikes and share that with my wife you know because i kept coming back and telling her all these amazing stories of the adventures that i had and i thought oh, it's only fair that she gets a taste of this too and you know adventure riding for a long time was just something that I, that monica and i did together it was wasn't a solo pursuit but uh yeah swapped the dr out for the 950 and started playing around on that a bit more and then when the uh, ktm 1190r came out there was uh, quite a lot of negative pushback on that bike, especially in New Zealand. You know, you get on the forums and there was a lot of, you know, KTM sold out. They built a dirt, uh, sorry, a road bike. There's no way you can take this thing off road. And uh, the the boss of KTM in New Zealand read all this and thought, got upset and said, here you go, Chris, have a, have a brand new 1190R. Go out, see what you can do on it, have at it show these guys that, you know, KTM still makes dirt capable bikes. And, you know, my initial reaction was, oh, you know, what if I break it? He's, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll talk about that when it happens. I don't know. No, we talk about this now. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I, I got sucked into that too as well. It did sort of look a bit more roadie. And then straight away, you know, obviously that uh, it was very apparent to me that you could do a lot with that bike. And it was really, really fun figuring out what it could do and you know what it couldn't do and the, the what it could do stuff isn't as, quite as much fun but just getting to know that bike and and figure out what i could do with it and just taking photos and videos along the way to try and i guess prove people wrong and, and show the bike's capabilities and then i met uh i met the met um 
the guy from Mad TV, and he was really keen to do some videos, and we did that one down the South Island, and uh, it went really well. It ended up becoming a, like almost like a sales tool for KTM. You know, someone would come into a dealership and say, "Oh no, you can't really take these things off road." The salesman fires up his phone, shows him the video, the bike sold, uh, and then from there, I sort of ended up becoming the the adventure bike guy for for KTM. Yeah. A lovely, lovely position to be in. <laughs> for sure. So the 950 KTM kind of still has this epic cult status. The people that buy them, like they completely adore them. I'm sure you see comments online about how it's still the greatest bike ever. And you've still got one. Do you fall into that same category where you've got this like utter adoration for your 950? And how have adventure bikes changed since you bought it? I think a good way to describe it is if you compare like, and I still love my 950. When I jump on my 950, it feels like I'm riding like an old Chevy Camaro, like a big block Camaro. You know, yeah. it's loud. It sounds great. It's. But then when I jump on my 790, you know, the latest and greatest, that would be like, you know, riding the latest Mitsubishi Evolution rally car sort of thing. It maybe doesn't have the same soul uh, as that 950, but it's way faster, way more high tech, much, much easier to drive and ride. I use way less energy on it, and it's undeniably a better bike. But you just, you know, there's something about those old classic muscle cars. Mm -hmm. There's something about those old classic uh, 950 V-Twins in the same sort of way. Everything about it is a worse bike. Than that say the 790 out. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the suspension, the handling, everything is worse. But it just feels cool. <laughs> yeah. So when you look back at those kind of bikes, like the 950, that's obviously a bike that when it came out was quite close in theory to what the Dakar bikes were. How does that compare to like the 450RR that you rode when you did Dakar? Uh, how does the 950 compare to the RR? Yeah. In terms oh. of like what you think that like how they feel and how the even the concept of racing something like that in Dakar is. Yeah, I can I can actually go one better than that because I very very fortunately I got to ride uh, Mioni's factory nine fifty <laughs> okay, in, yeah. in Morocco. Yeah, that was like it was right at the end of the uh, the seven ninety R launch uh, in Morocco that we did, and the thing was just sitting there in the garage. I thought, man, I have got to drive <laughs> this motorbike like, this is the sort of opportunities that don't get handed down very often and the guys from ktm were, were, were nice enough to let me put some gas in it fire it up and take that thing out in the desert and oh my god what an amazing experience to be able to ride like yeah a, you know one of the very few factory 950 rally bikes in the desert and it's a sled like it's just all it wants to do is go fast it doesn't want to turn it doesn't want to stop it just wants to smash stuff on a straight line and go real fast yeah. and then if you compare that to the 450 rr it's just so much lighter obviously so much more agile it wants to turn it wants to stop it wants to go around corners and that's it reflects what the dakar's become now as well you know they don't have those great big stages where you're just on the limiter flat out for you know the whole stage it's it's got more technical it's got more nimble and the bikes have uh, have followed where the uh, the rally has gone as well um, and they're both tools for the job but they're, they're different jobs now yeah the 950 is a tool for the job still always sounds like a terrifying concept as a just a, a unit oh. in general <laughs> oh, I, I got off that thing and i just 
you know, I can't comprehend holding that bike wedged across <laughs> no. the desert yeah. like those guys. And I, you know, I, I'm a bit of a geek on that old, uh, you know, early earlier Dakar stuff. Now you go back and watch those videos of uh, of those guys holding that 950 absolutely pinned yeah. across the desert. And it's like having yeah. ridden it. It doesn't make it any more believable. Like how on earth they did that and survived is just insane. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think there's a, a, a clip I always remember for when I was younger. It was me only pulling away from one of the start gates and going through like multiple gears before he shut off. Like you could hear it on the TV, yeah. and I'm yeah, <laughs> you can't it's comprehend just, how like, fast that to, is. Yeah, yeah, all the way to top, and they just yeah. leave it there, just rah, <laughs> for way too long. Yeah. <laughs> I think I only got it the fourth. And that <laughs> <up>. <laughs> yeah. So when it comes to when it comes to riding skills on ADV bikes, you've put out tons of clips over the last few years that showcase some serious dirt bike skills, like way above what a normal good dirt bike rider can do. And transitioning from riding enduro to ADV actually seems like a pretty natural one, especially if you're kind of a, an enduro rider with a good technical base. For yourself, what are the skills that you find help? you most when it comes to riding adventure bikes i i think a lot of it is is um un, just a better understanding of how off-road works and it's just pure time on the trail time in off-road situations you know that whole like ten thousand hour thing everyone talks about you know i've with the time i've spent on my enduro bike i've hit every type of rock there is to hit <laughs> I've hit every bit of slippery that there is to slip to hit, and I kind of have that better understanding of how a trail works, where the traction is, where the lines are, what's going to work, what's not. And if you bring it back to Dakar, it's like that time in front of the road book. You know, the, the really, really good guys can see all those code, all those instructions of the road book, see it as a picture instantly, understand it, absorb that information, and go. For me, when I'm on the trail, that's exactly the same thing. I, I can see the trail, I can see the line, I can I know where the traction is without having to think about it. Just through the, that time of riding down a trail, and then when I come back to sort of teaching some of the adventure guys, you know, you have to take them down the trail and go, look, that bit there, that's going to be slippery. That bit there, that's going to have traction. That's going to hold your wheels. That's going to take your wheels away. Mm-hmm. And without that sort of time on the trail that that enduro riding and off road riding gives you, everything becomes a real conscious decision that becomes very tiring and very slow. Whereas that enduro stuff, it allows you to, to make, to see that picture, to understand it. And, you know, you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch whilst making excellent line choices. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a huge thing that the time on the enduro bike gives guys. Cool. So when you go the other way and you move from adventure bikes downwards it seems to be quite a tricky transition for a lot of people even if they've got pretty skillful on an adventure bike like we do meet a lot of people who ride their adventure bike all the time off-road and they've kind of developed a pretty good technical base they're good at slow speed stuff but when they move into a dirt bike it seems like a whole different kind of skill set and is pretty alien so when it comes to learning more skills you also see people moving towards smaller bikes for adventure riding 690 ktms or enduro bikes i'm sure you've seen that through your schools so in regards to technique what do you think those big difficulties that uh what do you think those big difficulties are for people that's a yeah i think a mistake a lot of people make is they don't give themselves the time and they don't approach it with the right attitude. So it's almost like you have to go, okay, I'm going to go and learn a new sport now. 
I, I know it, you know, that it, it looks similar to adventure riding, but it is almost a completely new sport. Obviously, there's a ton of crossover, but in, the guys need to approach it as you're at you're on day one. Mm-hmm. You're not coming into this at actually at level three or four, even though you spent all your time on your enduro bike. You've got to have that humility to go right. This is a whole new thing. It's a whole new sport. Let's start from the ground up and work our way up. So what you mentioned before, you know, the guys are getting maybe like a 500 or a 690 or that sort of thing. For us in the dirt bike world, the hardcore dirt bike world, that's a huge motorbike. Mm -hmm. So we quite often get guys, you know, they're coming off, say, like a a big 1200. They do the math. Well, the, the 600 is half the size of the 1200. So let's go take that into dirt bike trails. No, no, no. That's a really challenging bike to ride in a dirt bike situation. You need a 250. And you need to accept the fact that that's not a learner's bike. That's a that's a dirt bike. Yeah. <laughs> and it's quite funny. You'll see the guys, you know, they get out of adventure into dirt bikes, and the you know the first bike's a six ninety, then it's a four fifty, and the fourth bike, third bike is is the two fifty, and they they end up riding the smallest bike that the KTM make, yeah. and that's the one they really find their feet on. So I, I think it's about approaching it as a new challenge, as a, as a new sport, and you know, giving yourself the time to uh, to come into it at level one is, is a huge part of things. So, if someone makes all those decisions and they kind of go in the right direction, they've got uh, they've got the right bike. Technically, say like if we started with their standing position, how do you find that that differs, and what are the common mistakes people make with their riding position? So, I, I have to be a bit gentle here. Uh, no, you don't. <laughs> you definitely careful. don't. <laughs> uh, when, when we do the enduro schools, we jokingly refer to uh, an, an incorrect standing position as we call it the adventure pose. Mm-hmm. You know, guys standing up way too straight, you know, hips tucked underneath them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, quite vertical on the bike. Feels really, really comfortable when you're standing, cruising down a, a gravel road for, for a long time, that sort of thing. Uh, the problem with that is no stability. Uh, really inefficient once the uh, once the terrain becomes more difficult, and it doesn't work in real off road riding. And so we, we kind of almost call it a we jokingly refer to it as the adventure pose. So we need to, when we get into the off road riding, we need to create a lot more spread in your body, uh, a lot more uh, balance, a lot more flexibility. So we're getting the guys to you know pivot at every point of their body. So from their ankles, their knees, and most importantly, their hips, all the way through their lower body that is, is mobilized, is articulated, and, and is usable. Um, so there's a huge, huge change in the basic way that you stand on, on the motorbike. And for most of the guys that I teach, that's the biggest thing that we go through uh, and the, the biggest light bulb moment in their riding. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys when we teach, uh, the come to schools, guys, oh, they call it the attack position. Mm-hmm. And I hate calling it the attack <laughs> position. It doesn't matter that we're talking about trail riding, adventure bike riding, what it, what it is. A lot of the guys that we teach don't want to attack anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just want to have a nice day on their bike and ride down some trails and, and go some places they haven't been. So as soon as we start calling that the attack position, you, you see that mental shut off. And like, no, 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 this is not what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. No, no, it, it's just a good way to ride a motorbike. And you know, when we see the more experienced guys on the adventure bikes, that that's the exact same position that they're using. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So, so, yeah. so the next part of that, I think, we were, especially with dirt bikes, is the fact that you have a big old flat seat there 
that you can do a lot with and when you ride yeah. adventure bikes obviously that's a much more difficult thing to do like i typically don't tend to sit down much on adventure bikes your position's quite far back it's a little bit harder to control but when you come to riding dirt bikes obviously you have this big old platform so how do you kind of help people make that transition into their road riding position being a long way back to understanding what to do with the seat yeah the first the first job with that is actually to get the mental shift that sitting down is good mm-hmm. and it's a lot of people uh, will associate coming from adventure bikes will associate sitting down with giving up <laughs> you know like you stand until you stand 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 oh i'm too tired okay i've got to sit down yeah <laughs> so we've got to shift that around to no no sitting down is a good thing there's situations where you're way more stable way faster and way more efficient sitting down and there's times where you're way faster way more stable way more efficient standing up we have to practice both sides of it and be able to deploy either technique to whatever the situation is so we're trying to get the guys sitting a lot further forwards and a lot of the adventure bikes, like you say, they they tell you where to sit. You know, mm-hmm. you shall sit here. This is the only place you can go. <laughs> Good luck trying to change that. Um, you know, with the KTM 790R now and some of the bikes, it's like the 690s, you having more choice, that's starting to become less of a thing. But for the majority of adventure bikes, you are pretty much set in place. So it, it's getting the guys comfortable with being further forwards on the seat feeling that agility that, that that gives the bike, the responsiveness that that gives the bike, and just trying to give them reference points because they're so used to being told where to sit on the bike. Mm-hmm. So we'll say to the guys, you know, when you're sitting on the dirt bike, you need to be sitting in the middle of the bike, which is nowhere near the middle of the seat. You know, we, we call the foot pegs, we call the swing arm pivot the middle of the bike. So that's, you know, you're sitting directly over that central point of the bike, getting the bike to compress evenly, not loading up one end more than the other. And to start off with, that feels way too far forwards. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels too far forwards if you come off an adventure bike. It feels crazy too far forwards if you come off a street riding background. Um, but once we click that in, all of a sudden the bike starts to work. Both ends of the suspension are doing what it's supposed to do. The bike's balanced. It wants to turn again. You know, all the good things start to come in from that. And that can, again, be another really big light bulb moment for guys um, coming off adventure onto enduro. A good way to describe it is you want to have your hips over the foot pegs. Okay, yeah. For most guys, most guys that ends up with their knees in line with the radiators. Okay. So we say to yeah. the guys, to have your knees in line with the rads. If they're behind the radiators, generally you're behind your bike. Mm-hmm. That's a nice way yeah. of phrasing it. So in line with that as well, like I think one of the things I've noticed uh, quite a lot when you watch people ride is especially when they sit down and they come from a street riding background like their hands and arms and everything are like real low and i saw a really good video of you describing that uh that kind of transition position i think you did a school in in southeast asia somewhere it was with a bunch of guys on ktms and you did a really good explanation of that what are the kind of key points that you try to get people to focus on when they're changing that side of their position as well with the upper body, the yeah. arms and the elbows, I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, we'll, if guys really, really struggle with this, um, I will get them on the ground and make them do press-ups, which no one likes. <laughs> no. People hate it. I'm like, okay, you know, do a press-up with your elbows down. Yeah. Okay, that really sucks. You know, it's all triceps. It really hurts. We can do yeah. very few of them. We push our elbows wide. You've got chest, you know, triceps, shoulders, back muscles, all sorts of stuff to work with. When guys really, really struggle, but that's kind of like my last resort <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is to get them on the ground doing press-ups like that. 
that's when I, I really can't get my point across any other way. But it's just uh, for me, it's about explaining you know the structure of your body, um, what what happens when you lift your elbows wide, because it does feel quite foreign for a lot of people. And if you just say you know keep your elbows up, keep your elbows wide without telling the why and the, and the reason behind it, it, it's really hard to get that buy-in. So it's about you know making your body more efficient um, and stabilizing your head is the biggest part of it. Okay. So, yeah. you know, motorbike riding just like every other action sport, you know, skateboarding, wakeboarding, skiing, whatever it is, wherever your head goes, everything else follows. Mm-hmm. That's either a good thing or a bad thing depending on what's happening with your head. <laughs> so. so we want to make sure that we've got our elbows wide, we've got triceps, chest, all that up, big strong upper body muscles to control where your head goes. We're not trying to use this for strength, like to boss the bike around and fight the bike. It's just about trying to create that stability so that when your head moves, it's a good positive input uh-huh. on your terms, not an accidental negative input that creates yeah, yeah. a bigger chain of events sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And the analogy we'll normally use is, you know, imagine you're riding along in some soft sand uh, and you hit some soft sand, the front starts to tuck, to duck, duck down into it. Mm-hmm. The weight of the bike's coming forwards, the chassis starting to rotate forwards, your head collapses forwards, all that rotation starts to come in. And um, which interestingly is how you do a front flip on an FMX bike, right? Like you throw your head yeah. forwards. <laughs> it's quite a yeah. transition. If you've gone that far, you've definitely done it wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's weird. Like, I'm not a freestyle rider in any way, but sometimes we, we talk about freestyle motocross, mm-hmm. even in, in adventure bike schools, because that's the that's right the way the end of that path right like if you want your bike to do something really crazy mm-hmm. you have to use your head yeah so, you know if you want to do a forwards flip for some insane reason i don't know why anybody would <laughs> as you go off the ramp you've got to throw that weight forwards yeah you know yeah I, i've done a backflip into a foam pit and that's as far as i'm going down that <laughs> on path. a on yeah. a dirt bike on a dirt bike nice. yeah but it's all all that fmx stuff it's all about your head yeah so for us on the adventure bikes, on the endu- on the enduro bikes, it's again, it's all about our head, but for different reasons. We need to keep that stability and we need mm-hmm. to move it on our terms. And your, and your elbows are a huge part of that. The mistake I used to make with, with that was I always used to try and tell people to keep their elbows up. Okay. Because, yeah. you know, classic teaching style, point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I'd find people like lifting their, el- lifting their shoulders, mm-hmm. elbows too high, loads of tension. Like, oh, gosh, this really sucks. But I think a, a better way of describing it that, that's working better for me these days is try and keep your elbows wide. Mm-hmm. So make your elbows the widest point of your body. Make them as wide as you can. That gets that straight plane, gets those yeah. triceps working, all that sort of stuff. But without the shoulder tension, without lifting their el- the shoulders or, or any of that sort of oh, okay. too far forwards. When you get your elbows too high, you can actually start to um, make life really hard on your shoulders yeah. and potentially injury sort of stuff going on so i think wide is a much better analogy than uh, a word than than high yeah okay cool um so another part and i think this is really important in adventure riding technique this is probably a little bit where your dirt bike skill goes back the other way but when it comes to slow speed control i in the my friends and people that i've seen come from adventure bikes to riding dirt bikes they can be pretty good at slow speed on an adventure bike but that stuff goes out the window when they move to a dirt bike, maybe because their weight is so much more of the package or everything's a little bit more like kind of light in your hands and easier to mess with. So how do you help people improve their slow speed control? Uh, on the enduro bike? Yeah. 
Um, honestly, for me, it's more of a thing going the other way. Okay. Uh, I, I guess I get more guys struggling the other way coming from uh, enduro bikes onto the adventures, and it's mm-hmm. about trying to get the enduro guys to magnify their efforts and ex- extend their movement more. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things we'll say to the guys, you know, big bike, big movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the uh, for the enduro guys that struggle with the low speed stuff that I come across the most, it's mainly just due to impatience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, but, well, yeah, I get what you're saying, but can we not just, just go for a bit of a rip here? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't want to just sort of sit here and make something up. Uh, to, mm-hmm. to answer your question, no, to be honest, fine. it's not something that I, I I've come across too much personally. It's normally the other way. Okay, and so when it is going, well, what, what's the, been what's been your experience? There? Ju- quite often, uh, you start to see, especially with adventure bikes, because they've got so much torque. A lot of the time, with relative slow speed control, you don't need to use the throttle a lot. So people kind of learn to just use the clutch. And then when they transition to dirt bikes, they find them pretty stally because controls go in different directions a little bit. And they don't kind of have that same reliance on taking one skill out, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. But it's not a, yeah. Yeah, I I get what you're saying now. Um, Yeah, I I hadn't, in my mind, I was thinking more from like a body position uh, Mm -hmm. side of things rather than a a clutch and throttle control sort of thing. But you're completely right. You know, you've got, especially, you know, with with the BMWs, the big twins, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, you've got so much torque and they're so smooth and controlled. And, you know, you then go and jump on a a little little enduro bike and it feels so haywire. Yeah. Yeah, a, a big thing we try and talk about with the guys there is to try and think of your throttle like the generator mm-hmm. and the clutch as the distributor. Yeah. So yeah. on the dirt bikes, it's really, really hard to keep that throttle super consistent. You know, so you just get the generator up and running, make sure you're generating enough, mm-hmm. and then distribute whatever you need in the time that you want in, in the way that you want it through your clutch. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about the penalties mm-hmm. you know if your generator is producing too much power if the generator is running too high and you choose not to put that power all of it to the ground who cares yeah you know, so, we'll, so we'll get the guys to do some drills with the bikes like Rah! but they're all just tickling along mm-hmm. putting that power to the ground to the clutch and if the generator is not running enough not running high enough and you choose to try to distribute something that's not there boom, the bike stalls yeah so it's getting used to holding that higher RPM of the smaller bikes and producing your smoothness and your and your traction and your control all through the clutch. And the other thing with there is is trying to get through to guys that an enduro bike clutch is designed to be thrashed. It's designed to be abused. Or not abused, that's the wrong word. It's designed to be used. And what can feel like abuse coming off an adventure bike is completely okay, normal use on a uh, an enduro bike clutch yeah that's um yeah that's a really interesting point that i hadn't kind of thought of before so in in regards you kind of touched on one point earlier where you mentioned that like attitude and kind of approaching it as like an entirely new skill is really important but in regards to improving uh people's riding in general what are the most important things you come across for people to focus on um for me personally i always just keep coming back to body position mm-hmm. um so it doesn't matter whether i'm teaching uh, an adventure school an enduro school a trail ride a hard enduro school whether i'm teaching races or beginners 
the first thing I always focus on is just that correct basic standing position, correct basic seated position. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how advanced the school is, I always end up coming back to that. And to the point where I get bored of it, like I get sick of saying the same thing over and over again, but it's just so freaking important because that's the starting point of everything else that we do. Mm-hmm. So the idea with this correct standing position is that we create stability. So, you know, what's the point in trying to teach someone to try and hop over a log if they're not stable on their motorbike to start off with? Yeah. 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 What's the point in trying to teach someone to go around a rut, a rutted corner, something people often really, really struggle with if they're not stable on their bike? Yeah everything comes back to that being in control being stable moving with the bike being flexible it's not always the most exciting stuff that we that we do at the school but it's that real fundamental stuff that allows everything else to take place and for a lot of the time it's your parachute as well mm-hmm. you know if you get that log crossing wrong being stable on the bike being strong on the bike allows you to stuff it up without getting jacked over the handlebars so you know, from a, a risk management safety side of thing, it's it's so important that we get that in place to start off with. Do you do you find that people's like physical limitations have uh, an effect on that as well? Like if they're not particularly mobile, or is that something you can always still work with? Uh, we can always get them doing uh, improving uh, through the way that they're standing on the bike. Uh, it's how far they can go down that path mm-hmm. would be um, a. a would where the physical limitations come into it and we try and give them some uh, i guess some homework some stretching exercises some mobility exercises to actually like if you generally want to improve at the sport this is stuff that you need to work on um yeah so in in your own riding is that something you put a lot of effort into as well did you kind of make sure that you were like a super mobile flexible dude doing yoga or were you more classic enduro rider who like got off and wished he had someone else's hips um i saw it coming just in time <laughs> um, so you know in the early 20s that's the thing stretching whatever bro we ain't got time for stretching let's go ride some more but i could feel that stiffness coming into my hips a bit and i, I luckily like so my father's ridden bikes his whole life yeah and i remember watching my dad we uh, on our farm there's a two-story garage and my dad was coming down the steps in the garage walking sideways one step at a time <laughs> I'm like, well, what are you doing, old man? He goes, don't you laugh at me. He said, you've ridden bikes twice as much at your age as what I had at your age. You've got all this crap coming to you. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I need to get onto this. So I'm actually, I'm pretty, pretty, um, pretty diligent with my stretching and, and keeping that mobility going. And for me, it's uh, it's more of a, a ability to crash sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I still like going out stupid places on my bike, on my enduro bike, doing stupid things. Well, to some people, stupid to me, it's fun. <laughs> and the more mobility I have, the less chance of injury, the uh, the better I can ride my bike. So why would I not stay on top of that? Yeah, yeah. sweet. But uh, a, a good thing we talk about uh, to come back to that is we talk about lots about the, the angle of someone's spine. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine a beginner adventure rider riding along no stability yeah. struggling their spine is almost vertical straight up and down in line with the power poles sort of thing um and then we'll say imagine ryan dungy mm-hmm. so one of the world's best supercross riders going across the across the whoops at anaheim supercross his back's almost parallel to the ground yeah so we'll talk a lot about that you know the angle of your spine relative to the ground the more aggressive the riding the more aggressive the terrain the the closer your back needs to come to parallel and that's where we start 
running into that sort of mobility issues and that sort of thing. So for a lot of guys, if they just, you know, trail riding, playing around, that sort of thing, we don't need to worry too much about that mobility. Mm-hmm. But when they want to go further down that path, we need to need to get that mobility in there. Okay, yeah, that's a that's like a really nice uh, analogy for it. Um, I think uh, something that's quite often overlooked and to me seems like quite a big chunk of the equation, you touched on it before, is A, choosing the right bike, but then also when it comes to riding dirt bikes, making sure that it's actually pretty well set up. Um, I'm sure you've seen this as well, but in adventure bike riding, especially bar risers, people love a bar riser, people love pivot pegs and all of these things that are (laughs) not necessarily bad products. Some of them are really good products, but they're quite often misused or misunderstood in what their kind of end goal is. So firstly, um, you, you talked about advising people to choose like the smallest enduro bike but how do you how do you go about recommending what actual bike people should buy i think uh, a mistake a lot of people make is they want to they choose the bike to ride that they want to be eventually riding <laughs> you know we'll, we'll get guys come to schools they're really struggling you know they're, they're, they're struggling to contain a, a too big a bike and they'll say, oh, I've, i think i've bought the wrong bike like, no 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 you, you haven't bought the wrong bike at all you've just bought your third bike first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I often for guys, you know, those coming from adventure, say, look, I want to get into dirt bike riding. What should I get as a first bike? And I'll say, look, just get some beaten up old cheap trail bike that you genuinely don't give a crap about that you can drop and laugh and point fun at and, you know, just have some fun with it. You don't have to stress about damaging a $15,000 bike. Just go and have a, have a laugh on an old, you know, an old XR250 or something like that. You know, you'll learn about kickstarting a bike, if nothing else. <laughs> but having that, you know, that mindset of I'm, I'm going to learn a whole bunch of new skills on a cheap, cheerful, easy bike. And then if I like this, my next bike's going to be something a bit flasher. And then if I really, really like this, then I'm going to go and walk into the dealership and I'm going to go and lay down the cash on that brand new 450. That's... I think a smarter way of going about it. Um, you want to be sure that you're you're building confidence the whole way through, and that you're happy to experiment with the bike. You're happy to drop it. It's you know you know you're not something that you you want to be too precious about as you try and discover this new sport. Um, the setup of things is, is really crucial, um, and a lot of people go. Uh, again we have to be gentle here now the, the whole bar rises gadgets sort of thing we, we come across them a lot and we actually build a break into our schools now about 11 o'clock which is is gadget removal time <laughs> where guys they no longer want their bar rises they no longer want their uh, steak pegs are a big thing we come across here okay, uh, in New Zealand. Yeah. they're, they're not more of an australian thing but they're, they're, they're crossing the tasman quite often now um they haven't yeah, made it this far yet, but I know what they uh, are. Yeah, and I'm sure they're a great yeah, product yeah. if you're if you're racing Fink. Exactly, you've nailed it in one, and that's normally my uh, my smartass response. Guys, like, oh, so you're saying th- these things are bad? I'm like, no, no, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying they're really great for racing Fink. Yeah, <laughs> but that's not what we're doing today. <laughs> and you know, you you have to be gentle and kind of. I, I don't want to say to people, you know, they're crap. Get them off your bike, but you just you know, that mm-hmm. no, no one wants to hear that. Um, so you just kind of work around it tactfully. Yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to, to dirt bikes as well, I think one of the 
quite interesting prohibitive things for people in terms of their confidence especially is the size of them in, in a strange kind of way even though they're light and small dirt bikes are huge you know the seat heights are really high so yeah how do you how do you help people with that if they're not five foot ten six foot six foot two um it's again it's a, it's buying the the right bike for the right stage so often the, the advice i'll give guys you know you know like this the crf 230s mm-hmm. ttr 230s Get that as your first bike. You buy a secondhand one of those. Like they cost about three grand here in New Zealand. You buy one, you ride it for six months, and you sell it for three grand. Yeah, that bike's low. It's close to the ground. It costs nothing, so you're not worried about it, and it gets you through that all that early stuff where you can get two feet planted on the ground. Yes, the suspension sucks. Yes, it's really slow, but it's just a learning tool. Mm-hmm. Once you've got a better understanding of how enduro riding works, you've picked up a skill set, then you can start. The, the, you know, they're the getting two feet on the ground the whole time is possibly not as much of an issue as it was four or five months ago. The next step up is a taller. It's got better suspension. It's got more power, that sort of thing. But you've used that little horrible two thirty to get to, to that stage, yeah. and you've taken and you've brought confidence and confidence with it rather than having your confidence knocked back the whole time by a bike that's too tall and too scary for that first step. Mm-hmm. So um, when it comes to, to setting a bike up to work well, where do you where do you start? What are the kind of first bits where you're like, that has to be right or this isn't going to work? Uh, the first thing I'll always look at is the position of your handlebars. Uh, and I've talked about this uh, um, in many different situations now. And uh, the mistake a lot of guys are making uh, is they're setting the angle of their handlebars only really factoring in comfort, mm-hmm. not factoring in how that position and how the angle affects how the bike behaves. So for me personally, you know, I'm just under 6'2". I'm you know, not super tall, but I'm, I'm not short either. If I'm just standing in my garage, I would be much more comfortable with my handlebars rolled further forwards than where they are on my bike. Mm-hmm. But I know when I do that, it becomes really unstable. The front tucks in the corners. I can't go, the head shakes in the sand, all that sort of stuff. So I have to kind of deal with my bars being a little bit further back, cop a little a little bit less comfort to have my bike doing what I want it to do. And I think a lot of guys aren't considering that enough and they're purely considering what feels right in the garage and not considering how the bike's actually uh, affected by those changes. So often we'll end up, uh, the first thing we'll do at the schools is we, we spend a bit of time on setup and just correcting common little faults like that. And that's, uh, it can be quite a, you know, in terms of improvement for time, a, a very, very efficient thing to work on. So the next thing we'll always look at is the position of your levers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find a lot of guys with their levers way too low. And that brings in a lot of problems around arm pump, uh, stiff arms, stiff shoulders, that sort of thing. When your levers are too low, uh, the heels of your palms don't engage behind the handlebars anymore. Mm-hmm. And you end up kind of holding onto the bars the whole time rather than kind of leant against the bars. It makes it very hard to relax your hands, relax your forearms. And often just correcting the handlebar angle, bringing the levers up, uh, straight away people are able to relax their upper body more. Fatigue goes away, arm pump goes away, uh, and it and it clues straight back into that correct body positioning as well, um, and that that could be a, a really big change for the guys. So where you're quite a tall rider, and obviously the standard setup with an enduro bike is, I think the handlebars are relatively low on most enduro bikes. The seat to height is probably quite 
low for you as well. Are there any changes you make to your bike or do you run them like stock handlebar clamps, stock handlebars, low handlebars, tall handlebars? Where, where do you kind of put it? Uh, yeah, I'm very fortunate. Um, so I'm jumping the gun a little bit and that, uh, we haven't released them yet, but I've just gone through the process of designing my own like pro bend handlebar for a, a company. Awesome. So they allowed me to, yeah, yeah, to play around with different models and different setups. And my bar is significantly lower than stock. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a head scratcher for a lot of people. But again, we talked about that, that angle of your back, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, beginner adventure rider back vertical Ryan Dungey back parallel to the ground. Yeah, for uh, aggressive riding, and I'm I'm not talking about slamming whoops. Obviously, in my world, I'm talking about going over tree roots, you know, down mm-hmm. rocky sections, that sort of thing. I need a lot of stability, so I want my that forwards tilt through my body more. Mm-hmm. Um, having my bars low puts me into that position, allows me to corner much more aggressively. Um, so being six two, I run a lower than standard front end. The first guy that put me onto that was David Knight. I was about to say he was probably yeah. the best person I've ever seen for what you're describing in terms of like a that kind of flat back, super low, bum in the air riding position. Yeah, it works. <laughs> there's, no, there's no arguing with Knight. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say if there was uh, <laughs> if there's one person that can make a make a bike work and be oversized human, it's him. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, when it, along the along the same uh, kind of uh, tracked suspension in terms of people riding uh, enduro bikes is a, a really big kind of gray area. So I noticed a lot when people come into enduro bikes or they're a bit nervous and they are short on stature, they want to get it low straight away. And this happens, I think, on adventure bike side as well, where people fit lowering kits. Where do you, how do you kind of advise people on that uh, when it comes to getting their bike a little bit lower to the ground? Um, I advise people to start off with is uh, put some time and effort into figuring out whether you actually need to do it put some time and effort into adapting techniques that allow you to handle the taller bike, you know, and often a real common one we get is guys, oh, I just can't get both feet on the ground at the same time. So what if I taught you a whole bunch of stuff that meant that you didn't have to do that and you only ever had to get one foot on the ground Mm -hmm. and then you could not spend all that money on making your bike handle worse. (laughs) Maybe we could put a bit of, you know, put a few weeks, put a few sessions of effort into learning how to deal with this bike, getting one foot on the ground at the time, but using, you know, keeping your balance, mm-hmm. keeping control and not worrying about being able to get two feet on the ground. Let's give that a go first. And if that still isn't happening, then let's spend the money on lowering your bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, I'm fortunate. I still get to ride my bike with my mum quite a bit and uh, she can't touch the ground. And, you know, occasionally she'll try to get both feet on the ground like, oh, <laughs> uh, you're nearly 70 you haven't grown since last time we went riding why are you trying to do that yeah <laughs> uh, I, I, this is all very well and good for me to say you know as someone that that can get both feet on the ground but uh you know we, we come back to those you know the the 450 rally bike that that i rode in dakar i could only just tiptoe both feet on that bike mm-hmm. so just so i never tried to get both feet on the ground mm-hmm. you know i i plan to have you know, get off the side, put one foot down. You, know, you see all the time uh, really good riders that can't get both feet on the ground. Um, and with the right technique, it, it can be worked around a lot. If it can't be worked around, yeah, okay, we're, we're going to have to lower the bike. And 
for the dirt bikes, normally the first thing we'll try is just uh, chopping the seat down. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's kind of the first step. As soon as you start uh, changing your suspension travel, lowering the bike, you do there's there's definite negatives to that. There's trade offs to it. Um, you know the bikes they're designed to work and the with the full range of travel that with the swing arm angle at a at a right position. You know, you're holding the bike further down through its shock travel. There's definite downsides to it. Um, and quite commonly, we'll get people, uh, they'll lower their bike for the first sort of six months or something like that. They'll get maybe get the confidence up, pick up the technique, and then they'll raise it back up again later to get the suspension performance back to, to where it needs to be. Okay, yeah. So um, is there anything else within that kind of sphere of like bike setup and, and kind of things that you can change mechanically to, to make your bike better that are really important that are things that people just miss out or are ignorant of when they start riding off-road uh the so the, the checklist of stuff that we'd always work through at a school like number one would be bars in the right place number two would be levers in the right place the next one really really important is the rear brake um so especially maybe coming from adventure into enduro mm-hmm. uh on the enduro bike we are spending a lot more time standing up as much as i've talked about how important sitting down is the reality is we are still standing up a lot through the gnarly stuff so it's super important that you can access your back brake uh, without having to move your knee around so the idea is when we're riding our enduro bikes we always say to the guys strong legs to hold you into the bike lock you into the bike strong core to stabilize you soft relaxed noodle arms so if your rear brake is set too low and then you have to move your knee forwards, pivot your knee forwards to access your back brake, straight away you're compromising your body position, you bring a rotation into your hips, you're unloading your bike uh, unevenly. So we'll always try and make sure that the guys can hold the bike, squeeze with their knees and modulate and control the rear brake just through an ankle wiggle, not mm-hmm. a whole lower leg movement. That can be a, a really, really big, uh, big change for guys. And a big thing to remember for dirt bike riding uh, is that your rear brake's job is not to slow you down. You know, if you go to the top of a grassy downhill and just try and use only your rear brake to slow down, you know, the rear brake's job is to provide stability. Mm-hmm. You know, the rear brake holds the bike in a straight line, stops all the weight come crashing forwards, and allows the front brake to do its thing. It's slowing down the thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're trying to say to the guys, rear brake for stability, front brake to slow down. Mm-hmm. If you have to adopt an unstable body position by pushing your knee forwards to access that back brake, mm-hmm. straight away, you know, we're creating instability, bad things start to happen. So in terms of, of quick things you can check in terms of setup, standing on your bike, modulating, being able to an- modulate your rear brake, control your rear brake with your toes without moving your knee forwards is a really important thing. Cool. Um and so i think my last question that i've got written down here is and i think this is quite an interesting point because i've spent a lot of time watching people teach things on youtube and so on i think your approach to teaching is actually really interesting Uh, you mentioned in an interview with i believe jonathan bentman from rust magazine that you put a lot of effort into learning to teach what did that entail and how do you kind of develop the the knowledge that you've got about explaining things to people um asking people is a, is a big part of it uh, i'm luckily my my father is a is a teacher sorry my, fa- my father-in-law is a teacher mm-hmm. my monica's father so i've spoken to him over many many beers many nights about teaching techniques and how to get information across 
Uh, I've been really fortunate that I've got to spend quite a bit of time uh, teaching uh, the New Zealand Army. Oh, okay, yeah. And, and w- working with working with their instructors, so you know, mm-hmm. guys that are professionally trained instructors, mm-hmm. um, and trying to adapt techniques that they use, and uh, yeah, just trying to uh, trying to approach it as you know, when I got out of stopped doing uh, as much uh, hard enduro racing. You know, my, my goal there was to be the best hard enduro racer in the world. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the ultimate goal. And the goal switched around to, like, I want to be the best dirt bike teacher in the world. Yeah. So let's take all that effort and put it into this and, you know, just reading books, YouTube, or mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff of, of how to deliver information in the, in the best way. And the information's all out there. you just got to take the time to, to ingest it. Um, whereas I think a lot of guys go, oh, yeah, I, I do a bit of coaching at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fine. You know, they try and help people. Oh, I wanted to go a level above that. I wanted yeah. to. Okay, this is going to be my business. Let's take this seriously. Yeah. Let's do this properly, not just grab some cash off people and tell them to turn the throttle further. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, with your yeah. own riding, when you were kind of racing and when you were in, trying to improve all the time, were you one of those riders that was super analytical of your technique, or was that something that came afterwards? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was. So. I think part of that's uh, uh, growing up and uh, living in New Zealand. So I I was New Zealand Enduro Champion at 21. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, fastest guy in the country at 21. But I knew I wanted to go a lot, lot further than that. So, okay, now I need to start looking around and trying, how do I make myself go faster? So it was str- even there, straight away trying to gather information. Mm-hmm. So I used to be able to get these awesome uh, Duke vhs uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> videos of like the world enduro champs world trials champs that sort of stuff and you know you could pause it and press frame advance still advance <laughs> like okay where is it what is he actually doing and yeah. you know wearing out my parents uh vhs recorder thing whatever they're called um yeah so trying to actually dissect these different riders techniques and figure out how i can ride my bike better and the two guys I really looked at for uh, for enduro were Yuha Salmonen and uh, Stephen Everts. Mm-hmm. So they were guys like, I want to be able to ride like that dude. Mm-hmm. So how does he ride a bike? And just trying to dissect everything that he does. And I, lucky I grew up on on ten acres, so I'd, I'd literally be sitting there with the with the uh, in front of the telly in my riding gear, like what's he doing? Oh, that's where his weight is. Okay, run outside, jump on the bike, try and figure that out. Yeah. And, yeah, my parents must have thought I was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, is that something that you still find yourself doing now? Yeah, and it's actually it's something I've got to try and switch off. <laughs> okay, I'm going for a nice ride today. I'm going out riding with my friends. Who cares where my friend has his hips? Who cares what he's doing with his foot pegs? <laughs> just switch that off. You're not working today. Just go and have a ride. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just try and keep that, you know, that joy and enjoyment of riding motorbikes mm-hmm. strong. Like, hey, switch all that off and just go and have a play on your bike today. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, the the video with Paul Tarez on the Tenere 700. Yeah, it's sick. Is, is that something that you ever envisaged? someone taking adventure bikes too like obviously some of the stuff he does in that video is sketchy enough just on a dirt bike to then go and do that stuff on a 10 or a 700 or a 790 do you ever see it going to that place no (laughs) (laughs) it's a short answer (laughs) no (laughs) 
that so i take it i take it that when you watch that video you have the same reaction as anyone else that rides a dirt bike that, that i like i don't understand how anyone has done that in the first place let alone anyone matching what that video is yeah i i can i guess i can totally see what he's doing the whole time mm-hmm. um oh yeah that makes sense that's pretty cool like you know the the way that he shaped his lifters, the way he set set those moves up. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. I can see how he's doing it. I'm not saying I'm going to go and do it. I don't <laughs> say I want to go and do it. Yeah. But it, it, it does kind. Of, don't get me wrong. It's bloody impressive. It's amazing. It's really cool what he's done. But I can see how he's doing it. Yeah, yeah, t- yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just the I level of sketch. Yeah, the level of oh, sketch yeah, is yeah. off the channel. But- but you should see, like, oh, I'm sure you follow some of the stuff that he does on his enduro bike. Yeah, it's like, insane. Man, why do you want to do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's uh, he's, like he's not normal, that's for sure. No. <laughs> his wrists and his ankles are not normal, that's for sure. He's, he's a strong lad, eh? Yeah, he is, yeah. Well, I think I... said that, though, he is amazing at getting himself out of trouble. Yeah, yeah, for sure that's in if his uh, skill set. there's a skill set he has, it's pulling off getting stuff wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if anyone that's watching this podcast has seen any of his videos, but even the outtakes of him on YouTube, just messing around with his mates is totally worth going to watch just to see yeah. like the sketchy stuff he does when he just goes trail riding. There was a huge step up he was doing a while ago and like the first one just gets it completely wrong, just maggots the, the uh, yeah. <laughs> straight, to, straight to the frame rails, like cases this huge step up. Like, if that was me, all right. Pack it up, we're going home. No more of <laughs> yeah. this. And there's like four or five more goes at it. I'm like, yeah. wow, that, that is impressive. Oh, there's the one of him where he uh, he tries to jump into the V of a tree and gets stuck, and he's kind of just hanging there. And he's like, oh, okay. And he pulls himself back up, jumps back off with his bike. Like the, he's yeah, obviously yeah. you know quite a coordinated guy as well as just being like an outrageous motorcycle rider. So. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of like like skaters, uh, mm-hmm. the the the, ma- the mentality that skateboarders take into it, and guys yeah. like uh, Danny McCaskill on his mm-hmm. and the videos that he makes on his mountain bike. Like, I don't know if you saw the uh, like the making of videos that some of Danny yeah. McCaskill's ones where he there's one where he does he slides along a log on the bottom bracket of his yeah. mountain bike, and it took him three days to do it. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I guess uh, that's not a mindset that I have. Uh, it's kind of like, can I, like, when we're doing our videos like i can't break my bike like yeah you know it's funny guys go, oh how many bikes did you trash doing that I'm like zero yeah. because that's not the budget that i'm running on i have one adventure bike <laughs> so i'm kind of looking like this has to work first time yeah but those guys are it's not like that though with this go go it's mm-hmm. it's not like i have to make this work first time so like, i have to work this out and get one clean shot of this yeah 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 I guess, yeah, different mindsets. Can you uh, can you see that kind of going any further than it is with bikes as big as he uh, as as that? Like with a two hundred kilo adventure bike, do you think that there's more scope for like more difficult riding, or is that kind of about as sketchy as it can get? I think it's there. There's definitely more. There's got to be more. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's a matter of want, right? Yeah, you know, how far is someone prepared to stick their neck out? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, and I would imagine there's probably stuff in Paul's head at the moment. He's like, okay, I've done that. I reckon this might work now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's wait and see. Yeah, awesome. 
Well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. We're just coming up to an hour long. Um, yeah, <laughs> thanks very much for your uh, your wisdom. I always like to end the podcast by giving you the opportunity to kind of tell people what you're doing and where they can find you. So all yours. Shameless plugs. Shameless plug. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess that the first thing we talk about is that the training series of videos that we've done. So uh, for many years, I've been getting all these requests and guys, you know, will you come to Nicaragua and do a, a writing school? And uh, I was I can't come to Nicaragua. So I've been trying to uh, come up with a way of helping people and being able to say yes to, to these people. Um, so we've got a whole, uh, I think it's 15 part adventure bike training series. Mm -hmm. Uh, where we go through everything we've talked about from, you know, basic bike setup, body position, standing, sitting on the bike, all the way through to, you know, do wheelies and jumping logs and that sort of stuff and, and everything in between. So that's, uh, you can get to that on my website, uh, chrisbirch.co.nz, and that's all, all on Vimeo On Demand. Uh, that's gone really well for us. We get some really nice feedback from that. Awesome. Uh, when, when the world returns to normality, uh, we do... Uh, Adventure bike training schools all around the world, uh, a lot in Australia, a lot in New Zealand. Uh, we run uh, adventure bike rides and tours in New Zealand. Only sort of four or five guys, small group, going to all of my, my favorite places. And that's something you, people can check out uh, again on, the, on that website. Um, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, all that sort of stuff. Awesome. What's that's your me. What's your Instagram? <laughs> it's just Chris Birch. Uh, no, it's, that was already taken. Uh, and if people are Googling me, it's Chris Birch, the motorbike guy, not the gay rugby player. <laughs> it's, uh, my Instagram is uh, BirchyNZ, B-I-R-C-H-Y-N-Z. And my Facebook is uh, Chris Birch Off-Road Coach. Awesome. Well, thank you very much again for your time. Only a pleasure. Awesome. Cheers. <laughs>